0: If you are visiting with us this morning, welcome. It's good to have you here at Hope Church on this Sunday morning. For those of you who are watching online, it's good to be able to enter your home and to be able to bring uh, this service to you. We look forward to the day in which you can be here with us instead of being so far away. To be able to worship in person certainly is more biblical uh, than to be at home at a distance. Today we also have the opportunity to baptize another fellow believer. And so we are glad to announce that Jenna will be going through the waters of baptism later this morning to be able to worship God together and celebrate the fact that she professes Christ as her Lord and Savior. It's always a privilege to baptize, but it's also a privilege that one would be baptized to be able to say, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and I am part of the family of God, by faith, because I placed my faith in Christ. But before we go to the waters of baptism, let's go to the Bible and to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, you will recall that we have been studying the book of 1 Timothy, a letter written to the Apost- by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor in the city of Ephesus, present-day Turkey. And here... The Apostle Paul addresses uh, several matters, issues that were occurring in that church, rather problematic issues, things that we would look uh, at and say, wow, that's that's big problems. And in chapter 2, we see what are probably two of the most significant verses in the Bible, verses 5 and 6. Let me read the text to you, and then I'll place emphasis on Verses 5 and 6. It reads this way 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Uh, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling you the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and truth. And this morning I have three points for you. You'll see based on verses 5 and 6, the sovereignty of God, or rather, the singularity of God. Second, the mediation of Jesus Christ. And third, the terms of our negotiation. Singularity of God, the mediation of Christ, and the terms of our negotiation. Now, for those who would prefer a more perky outline, how's this? Uh, The mystery the ministry, and the victory. Is that easier to remember? The mystery, ministry, and victory. Let's begin at the beginning then. Verse 5. Again, two of the most significant verses in the Bible. Verse 5. There we see the singularity of God. It reads, For there is one God. And the word therefore actually connects us With everything else the Apostle has been already saying to Timothy and the church there as well as to us. Um, He said uh, that we should be praying all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. And and remember he said we should be praying for those who are actually in authority. For those who rule over the nation. Top down strategy of prayer. He explains why as well. And we saw that the Apostle Paul notes that God desires that all kinds of people be saved. And so he says here, for there is one God. And, And what we see is that it is important for all people to respond to God because there is only one God. It is this God who desires that all be saved. This one singular God. And what we see here in that particular phrase in the Scriptures are two truths about God. We see, first of all, the singularity of God, and secondly, the exclusivity of God. Uh, By singularity, what I mean is that there is a oneness to God. There is no other God. This is what the Bible says. Now, I know people will contest it, people will argue against it, but I'm telling you what the Bible says, that there's one God. And we have every reason to believe the Bible. And in fact, this one God does prove himself over and over and over again, not only in the scriptures, but in history. And we see here the singularity as well as the exclusivity of God. And what I mean there is that there's a particular uniqueness to God. And because God is unique, he is the only means of salvation. These two ideas, the singularity and the exclusivity of God, are two truths that are truly railed against. How many people have fought against what I have just said? The singularity of God is very resented today. It's resented because people enjoy believing in more than one God. It's resented because it is normal for the human being to believe there are many gods. In fact, human history tells us that civilization after civilization have believed in many gods. But most of all, I think it's very troubling for people to believe this phrase here, there is one God, because we are accustomed to options. We are certainly used to having uh, many to pick from we we like our choices after all we are Americans we like choices whether you're talking about channels or gods we like to choose we're consumers at the very crux of our being even when it comes to truth we're consumers Even when it comes to the level of God, we like to be able to decide who is God and what is God. We want to be the arbitrators. Uh, Various religions offer other gods or goddesses. Uh, We do live still in a very polytheistic world, meaning many gods. However, the scriptures tell us that God is monotheistic, just one God. One God. That's all, just one God. And one God is all you need. You don't need many gods. One God, however, is troubling for some. Because this one God is the God that all mankind has to answer to. Just this one God. What we see in the scriptures is that we have deified ourselves... We see it also in human experience. We like to think that we ourselves are God, that we are the determiners of our destinies, that we are the determiners of who God is. Keep this in mind, that if there were more than one God, if God were gods, plural, and if all gods were equal, there would be no need for evangelism. There would be no need of telling others about God. Or about Jesus Christ, if all gods were equal. What we see here in 1 Timothy 2.5 is what we read in Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the singularity of God. There's only one God in this world. But we also see here the exclusivity of God. And I think this idea is even more resented in our culture. The idea that he is unique, and because he is unique... He is the only means by which man can be saved. Oh, how people hate that truth. There is none like him. Recall the sermon in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's what the Bible says. There is a universal uniqueness to God, which makes him not the primary God among many, but rather the sole God to which all of mankind is answerable to. Romans chapter 14 verse 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Every single one of us here, young and old, intelligent or simple, healthy or weak, We'll have to give an account to God for how we lived our lives. That's according to the Bible. Only God can rescue your soul. And if this is not true, you have to dismiss Jesus Christ as a liar and an egomaniac. Because he said he is God. God. Jesus Christ said he is the forgiver of sins. Jesus Christ said that he and the Father are one. And if this is not true, then he is not a good moral teacher. He is a liar. And he must be treated as a liar. So either he really is who he claims to be, or we have to dismiss him fully. Some years ago I had breakfast, I had a cup of coffee with a young man who believed he was God. And as we sat on a porch of a diner, he explained to me why he believed he was God. And as I sat there and he chain-smoked, it was obvious he was not God. He kept his finger out like this, and I said, why is your finger constantly out? He says, because that's my miracle finger. If it touches anything, who knows what's going to happen? And and, and we look, and it's kind of humorous now, but really the, the man... The young man was mentally deranged, thinking he was God, claiming to be God, claiming to have miraculous powers. My friends, if Jesus Christ is not truly God, the God he claims to be, then he needs to be placed in the same category as that young man I had breakfast with. What we see here in the scriptures is that Jesus Christ is God. In fact, what we see in the scriptures progressively is the Trinity. So that by the time we get to the New Testament, we understand God much better than what we do than what we do in Genesis 1-1. You see, the Trinity is a profound mystery, but it's one that we need to begin to grapple with. And we need to begin to uh, try to comprehend to the best that we possibly can. And logic does help us here somewhat. Some people try to understand the Trinity by saying God is 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1. And we know that's not the case, right? 1 plus 1 plus 1 is 3. But you see, God is not an addition. It more, it's more. He's more of a multiplication. 1 times 1 times 1 is 1. And that is our God. Three persons equal in attributes, equal in essence, equal in nature, one God. If you consider the Trinity, you begin to better understand the Old Testament. If you consider the the Trinity, you'll understand what God said when he said, let us make man in our image. The Trinity. It explains how God can love even before there was a creation to love. You see, Love needs to express itself. Love cannot exist without expression. And God was able to love within the Trinity even before creation existed. The Trinity distinguishes God of the Bible from all other supposed gods. There is none like Him. And it is the Trinity that makes redemption possible because God, the Son, took on human flesh. God the Father ordained salvation. God the Son provides salvation. And it is God the Holy Spirit who applies that salvation to your soul and regenerates you and makes you new. Baptism says, I have been made new. In fact, there's an article in your worship folder that explains why baptism. I think most of you will appreciate it. The Trinity makes redemption possible as Jesus Christ takes on the flesh and we'll see here in that same verse that Jesus Christ is our mediator here we have the ministry of Jesus Christ so we move from who God is to what God has done for us and here we see the mediation of Jesus Christ God is one father son and holy spirit And it is God the Son who took on to himself a human flesh. God became man. God became as human as you. Now, please understand, he didn't change his deity. He continued to be God, but he added to his deity humanity, a human nature, and all that comes with humanity except for sinfulness. And by doing so, what God did, what Christ did, was that he bridged the gap between, between God and mankind. He bridged that gap. A gap that was created by the brokenness, the sinfulness of man, that just simply alienated us from God. So, in that sense, Christ is our mediator. Our mediator. Now, the very word mediator conveys a sense of conflict, right? When do you see a mediator? When there's a problem, when there's trouble, when there's some sort of, or some degree of of strife. And the mediator comes along, and he tries to repair the chasm that exists between the two parties. He intervenes, she intervenes between those two parties in order to restore a relationship, in order to restore peace. Uh, That's the mediator's job, to reestablish a relationship, to reestablish a friendship, to reestablish a covenant. The mediator comes. Well, here the Bible says that God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the world's only mediator. Look at verse 5 again. It says, for there is one God, and then it says, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, the, um, the language of mediation is not exactly common to us. Well, We generally don't spend time talking about mediators at dinner, do we? It's just not common unless, of course, you're on strike. If there's a strike because the employees are angry at the employer and they're making demands, what do you do? You call for a mediator. It's what's happening in Hollywood now. Now, The actors are are striking as well. So you have the writers and the actors striking. I'm not so sure this is that's a bad thing, you know? There's not gonna be any new shows. (laughs) It could be to our advantage. But there we have the language of mediation. Soon there's going to be a mediator that's going to step in and try to reconcile the differences between the uh, employers and the employees. Uh, Sometimes we hear of mediation when it comes to the awful experience of divorce. Uh, When the once happily married couple is now at a complete impasse, and so a mediator steps in, Because otherwise there's not going to be any reconciling the demands between spouses. It's always ugly, it's always unfortunate. The mediator tries to come in and tries to do well by either side. In this case here, we have man on one side and God on the other. And a chasm between God and man. Now, this is the demand that man is making. Man is demanding to be rescued from the judgment of God. I want to be rescued from this condemnation. And God on the other side wants to exercise justice. I insist on exercising justice. And why would God insist on exercising justice? Punishing sin. Well, that's because God cannot. He cannot simply forgive out of love. Although everybody thinks he can. You see, God is just as much just as he is love. He's not more love than he is just. And neither is he more just than he is love. He is equally just and love. That means that he will love, but it also means he needs to do what is right. He cannot ignore what is wrong. He cannot ignore sin. And so God is demanding that his justice be carried out. To ignore justice would mean that God would have to deny himself. And he can't. He won't. And so the mediator comes in, and verse 5 reads this way. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, this little phrase here, there's one mediator. For some people, it is an ointment that will help heal their soul and for others, it's a poison, an ointment or a poison. It's a healing ointment to those who are being saved by it, who are being saved by Jesus Christ. Take a look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, maybe it's posted on the wall there for you. I, I'm not sure. But I know it's posted in your scriptures. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. And the second half of verse 18 reads this way. Referring to the mediating work of Jesus Christ. It says, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. To those who are being saved by Jesus Christ, it is the power of God. You see, the, the idea that Jesus Christ is our mediator is a smooth path for the weary hiker. It, it's a flat surface for those who are visually impaired. It's good news for those who believe. It's good news for those who are being saved by it. It is powerful for those who are being saved by it. But unfortunately, for those who refuse Christ, it is a curse. It is a poison. It's a stumbling block to the blind who runs from God. Have you ever seen a blind person run? Its the most frightful scene that's what's being pictured here. It's an upward climb for those who are tired and traveling and don't want to go any further. 1 Corinthians 1:18 the first half says for the word of the cross is folly it's foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who are rejected Christ to those who are dying spiritually it's foolishness. It's folly. People trip over Christ. In my opinion, modern man's greatest obstruction is this, his consumer mentality. We want choices, don't we? We want our shelves well stocked. We want our churches to tell us what we want to hear. We want God's mediators, plural, to choose from. That's the way we are. And that's very dangerous. If you were to read verse 5, translate it literally from the original Greek language, it would read this way. One also is the mediator between God and man. So that just as God is singular, listen my friends, a mediator between God and man is singular as well. Just one, just one. We do not have many options at all. We have one option and that is Jesus Christ. And that's good news for those who are being saved by it. But for those who are resisting Christ, it's foolishness. This means that angels cannot be your mediator. Angels can protect you. You know, people believe in guardian angels, okay. But they can't mediate you. They they can't bring you to God. They cannot save your soul. Saints who have gone before us, and people like candles for them, they cannot save your soul. They cannot be your mediator. Mary is not a co-mediator or mediatrix. According to the Bible, only Jesus Christ is. A priest cannot absolve your sins. Our good works cannot serve as a mediator for you. Christ alone is what we see here. Christ alone is the only one who can bring it to God. Anything else is an invention of man in order to sidestep Jesus Christ. And that's why I say that these two verses are crucial in our understanding of the Christian faith. Uh, Notice here the humanity of Jesus Christ. It says the man Christ Jesus. And by the way, this is the Christmas story. Without the narrative of the of the manger, the shepherds, and the wise men. This is the Christmas story, that God became man. Well, we move to the third point. And here we see that it's very obvious that man needs a a helper in order for him to escape the judgment of God. He needs a mediator. He needs a negotiator. And in verse 6, we see not only the mediation of Jesus Christ, but we see as well the negotiation of, that Jesus Christ, the mediator, provides. Now, notice something here. When it comes to negotiating for our souls, we were not the instigators. We did not start the conversation. God did. The offended one started the negotiation. The offendee versus the offender. God is the one who is offended by us, and yet he comes to start the negotiation by which he can redeem your soul. Now, typically, in mediation, the mediator is supposed to be neutral, right? Take no sides. His job, her job, is to negotiate a compromise. That's what the mediator does. And and compromises can be very difficult because whereas no one leaves the table empty-handed, neither does anyone get everything he wants. Arbitration is always bittersweet. But what we see here in the mediation that Jesus Christ provides is a mediator of a whole different sort. Jesus Christ is not neutral at all. He is determined to restore this relationship between Christ, between God the creator, and his creation. And he places himself in the crux of the mediation. God the Son... Kept one foot in eternity, and he placed the other foot in time, and he became man in order to mediate for you. God is so determined to restore harmony between man and himself that he takes on flesh, he becomes like us, so that he can become your rescuer. And he's compelled to do this by his love. That's John 3.16. He, to restore a harmony that has been severed by human sin. <laughs> to sever a, a relationship that, ship that is severed and will result in the agonist eternity of hell. And he's doing this because he's just. But he's doing this because he has love. God punishes sin because he's just. But he rescues from his own condemnation because he is love. And you'll recall what we saw a week or so ago. Verse 4 says that the, this affliction that people experience outside of Christ brings God no pleasure whatsoever. Well, as you could see, God is indeed a very demanding God. But man is very demanding too. Whereas God calls out for justice, you know what man calls out for? You know what we call out for? We call out for someone to rescue us, and we demand it. We plead for a mediator. How can I be rescued? Uh, Job, in chapter 9, verse 33, cried out for a mediator to adjudicate his case. And of course, Christ is the answer. He is the mediator. There is a God-shaped hollow In every single person's heart. A hollow that only God himself can fill. And I can only begin to tell you how many different ways people try to fill that hollow. But look, only God can fill it. My car runs on gasoline. If I put diesel in it, it's not going to run by design. And your soul, your life was designed to be run on Christ. Try to run it on anything else, you might get a little distance, but it's going to fail. Some of you have proven it over and over again. Our souls continue to cry out, there must be more to life than this. Uh, we have a soul that is demanding to be reconciled to the creator. And so Jesus Christ comes as, as the go between God. He becomes a bridge over the chasm of separation, anchored on one end in heaven and on the other end here on earth. He is a bridge, the God-man, so that through him we can enter the presence of God and be reconciled. My friends, that's what Christianity is all about. The work of Jesus Christ as a mediator who negotiates on behalf of our souls so that we can once again be reconciled to God and that God-shaped hollow in your heart will be satisfied, will be filled. And here's the negotiation. As I said before, when it comes to mediation, there needs to be a compromise. But in this case, there's no compromise at all. There's no compromise in this negotiation. God did not say, okay, I'll meet you in the middle. You give in a little and I'll give in a little and that's how we're going to settle everything. No, God did not say that at all. Rather, he said, as we see in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. John chapter 6, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He did not say, meet me in the middle. He said, I will go all the way to your side. And so the negotiator, the mediator, this is what he does. He becomes the ransom. That is to say, the mediator now jumps in and he becomes the price. So Jesus Christ is not just the mediator. He's not just an arbitrator. Christ becomes the solution to our separation. He becomes the ransom. As our mediator, he gives all of himself. The the ransom, a ransom, is the, the required price, the required amount given in exchange for another as the price of redemption. That's what a ransom is. I recall some years ago, quite a few years ago now, an old college buddy of mine, at the time he was a young pastor, uh, not married, no children. And he heard that there was a woman in his church, a member of his church, who was actually kidnapped and being held hostage in her own home. And she was bound in a chair and gagged and being beaten. And he, through the police, was able to negotiate an exchange. He would become the ransom. He would take her place. This woman, this wife, and mother of several children would be released, and he would take her place. And they made the exchange, and he was gagged, and he was bound, and he was beaten. He became the ransom. Jesus Christ did far more than this young man did, he gave his life fully. For each one of us here, he became the ransom, not just the negotiator. He became the price. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 reads this way. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, there's an important truth here that I want those of you who know Christ, who profess Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to keep this in mind. This is very important. Notice here that if Jesus Christ paid the price for your soul, you belong to him. You're no longer your own. You belong to him. You are his possession. Give to God what belongs to God. Give to him what belongs to him. If he purchased you, you belong to him. Give your life to him. Again, God did not meet us in the middle. Rather, God paid the entire price so that we would be made right with him. He did not ask for you to make a contribution or, or a compromise of any sort. He simply sacrificed himself in your place. And so the judgment that was supposed to be against us was actually placed against himself. The judgment that was supposed to be against me was placed on Christ, God the Son. And Christ did this for all kinds of people. No group is excluded. Christ died on behalf of all. So verse 6 says, for all. He dies for all. He's the mediator for all. No one human is beyond the ability of God's saving grace. <laughs> uh, often people say to me, I know that if I go show up on a Sunday morning, that the, the, the roof is going to collapse on me. <laughs> I think that's just an excuse for why I'm not going to church. But some people really do believe that they are that bad. And maybe they're right. Maybe they're telling me something I don't know. But I do know this. That there is no one who's beyond the saving grace of Jesus Christ. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no one is beyond the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The price that Jesus Christ paid is sufficient for all. And he freely gave himself. You know, this is what the Bible says in John chapter 10. It says that no one takes it from me. Jesus Christ said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. This, my friends, is God's love to you. So Christ goes from being our mediator to our ransom to now he becomes our advocate, that is, our defender. Verse 6 says, this is the testimony given at the proper time. That is to say, not too soon and certainly not too late, in a time that was appointed by God in accord with his purpose and will, about 2,000 years ago, we would say in our calendar, Christ became our mediator and he paid the ransom So that now, when God looks at me, when God looks at you, our sin-stained souls, you know what he sees? He sees the soul-washing righteousness of Jesus Christ instead. He's our mediator. He's our ransom. He's our advocate. Our defender. There is a question that people often ask me when it comes to this conversation as to who the ransom was paid to, and they asked just that. Who was the ransom paid to? To whom did Jesus Christ pay this ransom? I want you to see how unselfish God is, and at the same time, how just God is. The ransom was not paid to the devil. Uh, many people think just that, that the devil is the one who received the ransom. No, no, the devil did not receive the ransom. Satan does not call out on God and say, I want to negotiate with you, and and God answers to him. No, it's quite the other way around. God owes the devil nothing. So to whom was the ransom paid? Well, the ransom was God's just demand to himself. The ransom was paid by God to God And it cost God dearly. The sins of the world were placed on Jesus Christ. And he suffered in our stead. The suffering death of Jesus Christ was God's own price to satisfy his own wrath. There's a theological term for that. It's called propitiation. Maybe you'll remember it. Maybe you won't. I don't know. But it's an important word. It means that the wrath of God was satisfied when it was all poured onto Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ actually absorbed the wrath of God the Father. All of God's wrath was spent on Jesus Christ at the cross. Imagine the agony. Propitiation. He becomes then our advocate. As God's justice was dispensed on him, the price was paid, God himself suffered and our sins were atoned for and reconciliation was acquired and there was no compromise we receive everything we need everything we long for in our hearts in our souls God gives himself fully on our behalf this my friends is love he did not say you give a little I give a little He did not say, you give some and I'll give a lot. He said, I'll give all you believe in me. So how does Jesus Christ become your mediator? How does he become your advocate? Well, in the simplest terms I can possibly think of, I'll suggest to you the ABCs of salvation. How can Jesus Christ become your mediator? How can he pay for your sins? Well, first of all, A, admit you're a sinner and need forgiveness. Begin there. Admit that you're a sinner and admit that you need to be forgiven. B, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And C, confess your sins and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. Not just your Savior, but your Lord, your Master. And you too, Will know Christ as your forgiver, as your mediator, as your savior. And what a wonderful life that will begin for you.